Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Welcome, everybody. Boils and goyles. Everybody. Hello, everybody. Oh, hi. This is, um, hi. My name is Angel. This is Nikki. This is Color Me Dead. Episode... 89 89 and this episode is one of local lore so just keep that in mind if you are a local listener to where we are located in the uinta basin um you might want to use caution and discretion when listening to this episode you might know this case you might know it better than others um you may have heard of it and for those of you that if the name Roger Strunk or Veronica Fitzin sound vaguely familiar or really familiar, you might want to turn back now. Oh, or listen if you want to. Or still. go ahead and tune in because it's going to be a good one. However, this one strikes really close to home because this took place in an area that we grew up in and we were just slightly older than this little girl when this all went down. Like like not even a year. Uh, No, a couple years. I was seven. I was eight. How's that possible? In 88, you weren't, because I turned eight in 88. Oh, I was seven. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I always thought I was eight when it happened, and then I looked at the date, and I was like, nope, I was seven, because I turned eight in December of 88. Oh, that's right. You're right. I don't know shit. So, just keep in mind, um, you might know the families of either side, and what what we're going to share with you is fact that I know from police reports and things from the state of Utah. Anything that has been shared as a personal story, I will make sure that you know that that's a personal story that's been shared. Um, I did have several people reach out to me when I put out the feelers to get information on this. Um, I do have two stories on here that the individuals who um, opted to share their stories with me also asked to remain anonymous for a number of reasons. Well, and I went and talked to my mom a little bit about it too to see what she remembered just because... Yeah, she, she was actually a grown up at that time. We were we were seven. We didn't understand. Well, and I didn't live in Utah, so here's oh, you didn't? No, um, I was actually living in California, and I spent summers in Utah with my grandma and grandpa over in Roosevelt. But I did not live in Vernal at that time. Oh, so when I came up here for summer vacation, it was kind of a big thing about the you know like me and my cousin Kim. We used to go to the the swimming pool, and we used to like go and do you know and be by ourselves you know whether we were walking around town or whatever well after this all went down it was like you know you don't talk to any well and you don't talk to anybody you don't go down the alleys you don't you know they didn't want us walking home we lived down in ballard which is a couple miles out of roosevelt and it wasn't uncommon for us as little kids to walk into town um from ballard you know our grandparents would, or our, our parents, or our grandparents would take us into town, drop us off at the city pool, right? And then we'd walk home, or you know, we'd mill around town, go to Marion's for lunch, and then they'd come pick us up, right? Um, we rode our bikes everywhere yeah. too, like fucking everywhere. everywhere. And so after that all went down, and it was kind of a big hoo ha about the girls being by themselves. Um, there were some boys that older boys, like I would have been eight or nine and the maybe even 10, but these boys were like high school boys and used to pick on us and mess with us at the pool. And I remember my grandma actually sat cause, um, we were, she had errands that she had to run and you know how the open swim was like mm-hmm. from 10 to two and then they had laps and then it reopened for a few hours in the evening. Well, my grandma sat just right out front, you know, where you park just across the way from the park. Uh-huh. She was parked right in front of the pool watching, and these older boys were messing with me and my cousin. And it really upset her because this was after Roger Strunk and Veronica Fitzin. And she went in there and told the um, the owner and or the supervisor, I should say, of the pool and the lifeguards, like, do you not think that boys that are 15, 16, 17, do you think it's okay for them to be fooling around and, you know, roughhousing and horse playing with little girls under the age of 10? Like, right. To, to my grandma, she was like, hell no. And this is why. Yeah. Th- this is exactly why. This, this is exactly why. So uh, let's go ahead and start with, if you want to check out some of our sponsors, donate to our Patreon, check out our playlist of episodes. You can check us out at Age of Radio. Ageofradio.org slash color me dead slash. Not a backslash. Slash. Slash, motherfucker. Slash. Slash. 
You can find us on social media. Yes. You can find us on Twitter at Color Me Dead Pod. We're on Instagram for Color Me Dead Podcast. You can follow me at Color Me Dead Angel. And me at Gory underscore Nikki. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't know yet. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We have the Color Me Dead Podcast page. And you can also join the Color, Color Me Dead. Color Me Dead Cod. <laughs> <laughs> Color Me Dead Pod cast group um so check us out in all those areas also if you guys have stories that you want to share you want to reach out to us you can reach us at color me dead podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us something please not severed heads or fingers or ears or anything but you can send it to p.o box 1610 vernal utah 84078 yeesh have you checked the P.O. Box? I did, and I keep forgetting to tell you that we got stickers from Murder and Such. They got oh, nice. new stickers, and he wrote us a letter, and he wants to collaborate with us. And have, I keep forgetting to respond to him. <laughs> we have a couple people that want to want to do shows. Um, so, oh, I just put my eye in the I puffing. I saw that. Let's <laughs> have a, a puffing in your eye. Uh, poop in your eye. Mary. All right. So. <laughs> they got to fix my lashes. Oh, Dave came up with his Uncle Dave Saves topic. Did he tell you? I think so, but okay. I can't remember what it is. Oh, well, I, I'll talk to you about it later. All right, so. So. So, if I say so one more time, I want you to sew my mouth shut. So, but it makes for a good so-so. Sure, sure. all the so's. All the fucking so's. All the so's and the so-so-so. <laughs> <laughs> this episode 89 is on Roger Dale Strunk, The Nightmare Next Door. Now, Roger Strunk was only 16 at 16. 16. Yep. Roger Dale Strunk was only 16 years old at the time of his crime in 1988. He lived in Vernal, and it was said that he grew up here. Not much was to be found on his background, unfortunately, more than, you know, just what was able, what I was able to find through State of Utah court proceedings and local newspapers. Um, And this is all from the late 80s. Now, the trouble is, most of this information is only about the crime and sentencing, and anybody that knew him doesn't really talk about him, and the people that do still want to be... Like they want to, they want to remain unknown, right? The um, the facts that I do have is they lived in the Vernal area, and his family actually lived right around the corner from where I lived as a thirteen year old when I moved to Vernal. Where was it? Yeah, he lived in Mazer off fifteen hundred North, just around the corner. That's where I went trick or treating when I was in eighth grade, looking for Shane's house. Oh, I knew right where he lived. I didn't. <laughs> now his family was up and around the corner from where I grew up and lived with my mother, but this was well after he'd been sentenced and was already incarcerated. I don't know if his immediate family stayed in the area because they pretty much all went underground. They like sacked shit and kicked fucking rocks out of the Vienna Basin. I would too. So anything regarding his family is very difficult to find unless you ask local people. The problem with that is you're going to get a lot of rumor milling and you're going to get a right. lot of fabricated shit. So, Especially with it being so long ago. like the, Right. Yeah. Um it would be noted by a few locals who attended school with the, with Roger, he was kind of your classic nobody. Um, we were lucky enough to have people write in about their experiences with Roger. And like I said, per their request, we're keeping them anonymous. And some of these are actually our listeners. Now, should anybody hear this episode and you remember something or you didn't see where I had asked for something and you recall this specific crime and you want to reach out, feel free to hit us up on social media or email us. Um, and remember, you know, try to use as many dates and be as specific as you can, and we'll do a follow-up. Right. Like we've done with uh, Jody yes. Myers, because we've had... The corpse bride. Mm-hmm. We've had people reach out on that. Yeah. Um, Strunk was not known by any label like cool kid, jock, dork. It's it's cetera. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I yeah, couldn't I, not do <laughs> Etc. Sorry about trying to feed you to the beast, etc. Etc. If you haven't seen Split or Glass, do so, etc. Additionally, when Strunk was arrested, fellow classmates would spend time trying to figure out who he was because nobody knew who he was. They just knew that he was their age. This all took place during the summer between ninth and tenth grade, which means he would have he never even made it to high school because out here at the time high school didn't start until tenth grade. Right. Um, it was mentioned by a local that he may have had involvement in a school play um, as stage crew. However, he kept to himself and stayed in the corners during his involvement instead of socializing. <clears throat> 
It was also said that many girls in the school play slash stage crew did not feel comfortable with with Strunk, but there were no reasons given any given other than they felt uncomfortable and noted that Strunk watched slash stared at them like creepy like yeah. like I'm here in the corner I'm looking at you it was definitely a situation the way that it was explained to me in either you know it was either Facebook messages or um like comments on a thread where they were like he would stand in the dark and leer at you Ugh, yeah no. please don't do that let's let's just not don't be that guy don't don't do that no Roger may have been held back, as it was mentioned by a classmate, that he was the oldest kid in, in classes. So it's possible that he had learning disabilities or other def- deficiencies. Mm-hmm. A few of the locals that Angel spoke with mentioned that he often appeared confused and when and he was distri- described as slow or stupid. Yeah. So that might help you out a, a little bit to get a picture, which we don't know. We weren't there, but... You know. Just going by what I what I was heard. What I was heard. Mm-hmm. Heard and learned. Heard. It was it was rumored that Strunk himself had been sexually or physically abused as a youngster. However, this was not able to be verified by anyone and remains nothing more than a rumor. The granddaughter of the man who rented the Strunk family their home stated that her granddaughter said that Strunk was different, quiet, and strange. This was the most information that Angel was able to find. Yes. Now... The young girl that Roger would evict, he would victimize knew him. Um, the The kidnapping of Veronica Maria Fitzin is very difficult because he was actually friends with her brother Pablo, and they lived in an area close close by uptown. They actually lived not far off a of main street in some apartment buildings. Veronica was actually lured away from her home August seventh in nineteen eighty eight by Strunk, and it was there's two different stories. Now, the the one story that I found is that he went to her and was like, hey, your mom said it's okay if we go get ice cream. And she knew him. She had been around him more than once. And so little Veronica was like, oh, ice cream and went with him. There's another story that says he was like, hey, come with me. And when they started going in a direction that she was unfamiliar with or that she got uncomfortable with, he actually struck her and then drug her off. Um. It was said that Veronica disappeared with Strunk for a very short time. They had actually gone to church that that day or like a church function or church related thing. And she'd been outside playing and her mother had actually, her mother Jeanette had sent her brother Pablo out to check on her. And she'd only been outside playing for less than 10 minutes when mm-hmm. she, the mom was like, hey, go check on your sister. And she was gone. Um, and it's not, I mean, we live in such a small, tiny little community. It's not uncommon for children to go outside and play in their yard. You know right. what I mean? Unsupervised. Right. Um, <clears throat> her brother couldn't find her. And like I said, it'd been around 10 minutes and that was the last time somebody had seen her. So he, you know, he's calling for his sister, can't find her, runs inside, tells Jeanette, his mother, I can't find her. I don't know where she is. So, Strunk takes Veronica, lures her away, and then forces a kicking, screaming little girl into the backseat of his mother's car. And he was holding his hand, from what I understand in the reports, he was holding his hand over her mouth, trying to silence her screams, telling her to be quiet and trying to calm her frantic state. Shoves her tiny little body. Now, keep in mind, she's six years old, okay? And her, I believe her mother's from Costa Rica, and her mother is mm-hmm. quite petite as well. Veronica was only 33 pounds. She was yeah. a very tiny little girl. Yeah. Um, stuffed her into a pillowcase and shoves her in the car. He drove about 35 minutes north of Vernal to an, a heavily wooded area known as Little Brush Creek. Once Roger got Veronica up into the secluded area of mountains, he pulls over, okay, parks off the road he gets veronica in this little pillowcase throws her over his shoulder like a sack of taters and starts hiking his way up the hillside where he takes her into this like i don't know like this opening in the woods and forces all of her clothes off of her now roger did give a very detailed account of what took place up there because he actually confessed later Mm -hmm. so the entire time that he's taking the clothes off this little girl she's fighting and resisting the entire time so roger then began to sexually molest veronica he placed oh god this fucking i know that's pile of dicks so he started to sexually molest this little girl veronica he placed his finger inside of her body and for whatever 
whatever reason, for what unknown reason, he then placed her small little body back into the pillowcase and then hiked further up into the mountains. Now, if you get up into Little Brush Creek, it is not... It is not a willy-nilly hike, guys. Like, most of this is like a straight-up, like, Mm -hmm. incline. So he takes her further up into the mountains. He takes her out of the pillowcase for a second time and molests her again. He stuck his fingers into her privates. He groped her bottom, her swimsuit areas, and her breast area. He unsuccessfully attempted to rape her. Now, when I talk about unsuccessfully, her tiny little body, 33 pounds, remember, couldn't be penetrated and it's not from a lack of trying uh veronica um excuse me veronica being only six years old obviously you know you hear stories about little girls being molested and raped and everything at that age she was quite i i there's no other way for me to put this she was a teeny little baby girl Mm -hmm. so he unsuccessfully attempted to penetrate her a multiple multiple times now how far he got into that to where either it hurt him to try and penetrate her which fuck me dude that like just the thought in my head um now on some accounts because he was charged with rape of a child and we'll go over that when in his sentencing so he says that he was unable to put himself inside of her body but he did put other things inside of her body that makes me want to throw up. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I remember that that's when I learned what molest molestation was. Molest getting molested. Mm-hmm. That it was because of this. Because my mom, I heard my mom talking about what he did to her a little bit. Clearly, she's not going to tell me everything when I'm seven. But that's when I learned what that was. And I remember, like, the spot where. I think my mom was like, it's up that way where they found her. And I know that it's not the exact right spot, but in my mind, every time I drive past that spot, in my mind, she's like right there on the hillside. And that's what I see in my head every time we go past there, just from the time that I was like seven. That's all I can think of every time I drive up there to the mountain. Anyway... Uh, after Strunk was unable to rape his tiny victim, he then murdered her in the most awful attempts. He struck Veronica over the head several times with, a, with very large sticks and logs to kill her, which bro- he broke at least four of them trying to kill her with them. Um, they didn't kill her, and she pleaded with Strunk to return her to her mom. When striking her several times did not end her life, he then attempted to strangle the young girl with his hands. This attempt proved to be futile as she would have just lost consciousness and then reawaken. Again, she begged and pleaded to be returned to her mother. Roger Strunk would finally succeed by using one of Veronica's socks to fashion a tourniquet around her neck and strangle her again. He then placed her broken body into the pillowcase and moved her to yet another location nearby and buried her in a shallow grave near some trees, covering her with sticks and returned home. And this is when the monster attempts to become a hero. We've talked about him a little bit before in previous... Mm-hmm. episodes Yeesh. this is we're we're talking about it now we're doing it now he helped look for her mm-hmm. roger after just having molested attempted to rape and then murdering veronica returns home and actually joined the search party to find her it was noted that veronica's mother jeanette saw strunk around the entire week that they searched for her daughter and conducted the investigation Another rumor that would be circulated is that while the search parties were out, Strunk would hint to the searchers about like about her whereabouts, as though engaging in a cruel game of cat and mouse. Ed so, Gein. I know, right? So, I know, right? I know. So, not only did he go up there, and the way that he murdered this little girl is just fucking unimaginable. Horrifying. Because, uh, keep in mind, let's go back to this, she wasn't even like four feet tall. Okay, so not only did he thump on her repeatedly, okay, and break huge logs over this little girl's head, he choked her multiple times before he successfully kills her. And in the documentation of where he finally starts confessing some of this shit, she was begging, like, the whole time, please take me home to my mama. Please take me home to my mama. Like, how do you, like, how do you hear that and not feel just morbid regret and no, no, no. I'm going to go back and help you guys look for her. Yeah. 
I can't even imagine. I could imagine what my girls would be doing if that was him, like what, how much they would be crying and just imagining how they would be dealing with it. Yeah, dude, Addison 6. Tears my fucking heart. Like I'm about to throw up and start crying right now. So August 10th, 1988, Vernal City Police, this is an actual um, news news clipping that I put in here. Vernal City Police are seeking information in the disappearance of six-year-old girl who was last seen walking into her backyard. Authorities said there were no witnesses to the apparent kidnapping of Veronica Maria Fitzen Sunday in the early evening. Veronica's older brother was playing in the yard at the time but was unable to provide any information. Veronica is described as being 48 inches tall, 33 pounds, with dark brown hair, brown eyes, and a darker complexion. She was last seen wearing a turquoise summer summer short jumpsuit red socks and white shoes like i can actually see it in my head and it's making me sad yeah detective rick hawkins of the vernal city police department said officers have investigated leads in southern utah colorado and wyoming but have failed to turn up anything regarding the child's disappearance we have nothing to go on he said adding that the more time passes without clues the greater the risk to the child in an article in the Deseret News, which is also a local paper paper to Utah, I was able to find a passage that says a youth led searchers to her body, followed by the youth is still in custody at a detention center. Now, to my knowledge, after being questioned by the police, Strong finally admitted to his crime and then led investigators to her body five days after he murdered her. Such an asshole. For real. So... Um, now, when I reached out on Facebook and tried to drum up some information on Roger, I was surprised by some of the responses. Now, a lot of them seem to be pretty PG, um, you know, talking about how he was really creepy, how he'd follow girls around and leer at them. But there were two young um, individuals <laughs> that knew either Roger or Veronica. Um, this is a story that comes from somebody I know personally. I've known for a lot of years, and she was actually really good friends with Veronica as a child. So I have no doubt in my mind that this story is 100% accurate. She said, as far as Roger goes, I don't personally remember him at all. Veronica and I were six. Her family moved here from Costa Rica. My grandpa said he always seemed very strange. My parents were both very involved in the search for her and both remember helping him search as well. I heard them talk about, <clears throat> I heard them talk about that after Roger was arrested. They found a lot of things. They found a pair of her panties in his room that he had stolen off the clothesline. He also had a lot of JCPenney catalogs were in his room, were hidden in his room, and they were open to kitty underwear and women's bra pages that had been, finger quotes, stuck together. She said, I have no idea if that's true, but I remember them talking about it. When I got older, one of the officers heavily involved in the search <clears throat> who was a family friend, sat down and I picked his brain about the case. He did say that she had been scoped out for a while. He didn't like to talk about it much and said that it left him with a lot of anxiety. He said he got way too involved in the case. Her family is still the same way about it. Her brother moved away ASAP and refuses to ever come back. Pablo was with us the day that they found her. Jeanette, her mom, was obviously a mess. And when they, t when they told my mom, that they found her, I was ecstatic. When they told me that she was dead, it messed me up for good. I later found out that he had taken her up to Brush Creek and he had put her in a pillowcase. He raped her, he tried to strangle her, and she survived. He hit her over the head multiple times with tree branches, resulting in a pretty massive head injury. This caused her to wear a pink bonnet hat type thing in her casket because she survived that. Then he finally tied one of her own socks around her neck and that killed her. So she was a tough little thing. I remember reading and following the case as much as I could. My parents tried to keep it from me because they knew that it was hard. He was tried as an adult, and when and he was he was 16 when he did it. He received a life sentence. Then, when I was in middle school, there was a new judge appointed, and he decided to review the case and offer parole. Veronica's mom went to work to stop this from happening. We worked with her and successfully collected hundred excuse me successfully collected tens of thousands of signatures to stop this from happening. I believe he has no chance for parole now, and he remains tucked away at the good old point of the mountain where he needs to stay and he will forever forever now this next story um from a young lady who also asked to remain nameless she this situation is kind of weird and this story i'm not saying that it's true i'm not saying that it's false she was um very hesitant to share this and made sure that she knew that i was 
like that she was very hesitant to share this um, because the information that I'm about to share with you could be damning to a lot of different people. You like to hear, here you go. So this young lady was actually the little sister of a friend. Um, excuse me. This was the little sister to a friend of Roger's. She said, you can call me M or something like that, but please don't use my name. My family still lives in Vernal and a lot of people know that knew Roger was friends with my brother are still in the area. Even though it has been a very long time, it could still do damage to my family. It was bad enough after the murder that people ostracized my family for having kept up with the Strunks. My brother was friends with Roger when they were in 7th and 8th grade. I don't know why they didn't really have anything in common, and I think the only reason that my brother was friends with him is because my father and mother told him to be kind to people that were different, like Roger. Our family is very religious, and they encouraged us to reach out to non-members of the church to invite them to attend services and stake events. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with um, the Latter-day Saints, the LDS, aka Mormons. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, they have church services on Sunday, family home evening is on Monday, and they often do steak events um, like steak dances and thing like things like that on Saturdays. And so for people that are um, what they call inactive, which are people who have been baptized or previously active in the church, they are inactive members. Um, people that are non-members, um, you'll often you know, see very active members try to encourage them to participate and be more active in church. And so that's what she's talking about. She said, Roger spent several occasions at our house and two sleepovers. When he came to our house after school on weekend or on the weekends, but didn't stay, he would often follow me around and it made me very uncomfortable because we didn't play games or anything. He didn't even really speak to me. He just stared at me and shadowed me. Once he even followed me into the pantry very closely and smelled my hair. He also hurt our family cat. Smelled my hair. I don't like it. I don't like it. Take it back. Yeah. Get rid of this one. I don't like it. So, he he hurt our family cat, Missy, by kicking her many times and slammed the door on her tail and made it fall off. He said it was an accident, but I saw him hurt her on more than one hurt her more than once and my brother did too. I think my brother became afraid of Roger because we still don't talk about it. The first time Roger spent the night with us, we played night games and barbecued. Now for those of you who don't know what night games are, in the state of Utah, we don't come inside until the like the chickens go to roost. You know what I mean? Like we stay outside. Uh, yeah, until we are forced to, to come to inside. entry, forced re-entry. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So when you're outside playing night games, you're playing blind man's bluff, you're playing tag in the dark, or you're playing kick the can. And that's something that like still to this day, a lot of us go out and play night games and oh, stuff. hell yeah. <laughs> like it's just something we do. Everybody getting black, we're fucking doing this. I was like, blind man's bluff, why are we playing in the orchard? Get your shit. Put your knee pads on. She said, um, we stayed out late and um, the parents, like all the adults, had actually gathered like on the porches or around the bonfire like they do. She said, my brother and Roger kind of went missing. And later, like several months later, my brother admitted after being questioned about other stuff that he and Roger were looking through my mom and mine's panties while everyone else was outside. Fucking ew. Fucking gross. Don't do that. She said, my brother started having very odd behavior whenever Roger was around him and my parents began questioning him about it. In the beginning, he said it was nothing. The last time Roger was allowed to stay, the night at our house was also his last. My mom said that she did not like Roger being around and that she saw him touch me in ways she didn't approve of when we played. The last time we had been on the trampoline with the sprinkler underneath it and Roger kept making ways to touch my swimsuit areas. He went home very, very early the next day and never came back. Also, the wet trampoline, that is something we still do to this day. Oh, me too. <laughs> like, um, she said, my brother spoke to my father only, and he needed. He said that he needed to tell the bishop some things. My dad later found out that Roger had encouraged my brother to touch himself inappropriately in front of Roger. Roger had also encouraged my brother to try and see me and my mom in the nude. So, Roger also admitted to hurting and even killing other animals when my brother asked why he kept hurting our cat. My dad decided to speak to the guardians of Roger, and I think at this time it was his grandparents, but I'm not 100% sure. 
about all of the things that had happened, and they came to an agreement. No one would tell. Roger would never come back to the house, and he was supposed to go see a mental health person or a therapist to get help. That was supposed to be it. As a lot of you know, that's just how things went back in the day. That's how they were handled. I don't even know if I should tell you any of this because I don't want to get in trouble or get my dad in trouble. I guess it doesn't matter now because he's never getting out of prison prison and Veronica can't be unmurdered. I won't listen to this episode and I might not ever listen to your podcast again. I think I'm going to deactivate this account. That was the end of the message. So the account that she messaged me from has been deactivated. She deactivated it literally hours after sending me this message. That's so crazy. So I printed all of these. Yeah. Okay. Because once somebody deletes their account, it you just don't shows. Get him. No, it shows Facebook user and then it goes blank. Like the messages mm-hmm. just go away. And so I, <laughs> M did delete her po- profile and I've not heard from her again. I don't even know if the name on the profile was real. And so I don't know if this story is true or made up. It seems to me that somebody. I don't know. She had a lot of information, very specific. That to me feels like she's, you know, like this person was being honest. Right. But she was like extra weirded out about it. I Um, would be too. What a fucking freak show. And so it makes it difficult because the one person that talked about Roger is like she used her real name. She used her. She still has her profile um, on Facebook. And, you know, we're still friends. We still talk. And actually, I gave her a heads up that this would be our like upcoming episode. And I wanted to make sure that she was in the know. Yeah. So that it wasn't like she wasn't blindsided by an episode being written about her friend and being discussed. You know what I mean? Right. So then I get this person who reaches out to me and she's like, hey, somebody told me about your podcast. I've listened to a few episodes. She's like, it's really funny. She's like, some of the content is a little much. She's like, the reason why I'm reaching out to you is because somebody said you wanted to know about roger dale strunk i was like yes absolutely when i read her story i didn't look at her profile very closely looking back on it all of the photos that were used as like her cover photo or her profile photo were generic they were like pictures of the valley or pictures of the mountain um i don't even remember like I, i think we had like two mutual friends And that's why I, like, because you know how you have the option of accepting somebody's message request? Mm -hmm. That is why I accepted it, is because we had two mutual friends. But I never looked to see how many friends she actually had. Oh. So I don't know if that was, like, a throwaway account. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. For her to talk about these things. Now, for somebody to be that edgy about it makes me wonder if her family's not more prominent. And the reason she didn't want to be known is because that that possibly could have been information that prevented things happening to Veronica. Yeah. But right, like they might have guilt even though they don't they didn't know what are, what were they going to do about it. Right. But you know, should they have alerted more than just like the families in regards to what took place? Should it have been something that had been brought to the attention of the police? Right. Because there, I mean, not only was there animal cruelty, but there was inappropriate touching. There was, you know, snooping through mom's underwear drawersies and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was there was a lot mentioned um, that I think should should this person's family be prominent in the Vernal area, it could be damning. Yeah, to them. Um, we all know that in our town, it's very much competing with the Joneses. And when things like that happen to families who are prominent and devout and active, Mm -hmm. it is very much a don't ask, don't tell. Right. Because you don't want people thinking that your kids are fucked up. A lot of the hardcore LDS really frowned on me. And and I, I get why some of them did. You know, I was a foul mouth little, you know, street fiend. Like I was running amok at, you know, 10, 11, 12. And I mean, it wasn't smoking, drinking, that kind of thing. But I was getting in trouble fighting boys. And, you know, I, I cussed and, you know, did things I wasn't supposed to. You know, that being said, 
um, there's a lot of things that took place when I tried to be active and I tried to participate with the LDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some things that that happened that left a really horrifying taste in my mouth. Um, I was I was definitely there was some bigotry oh, happening yeah. um, where I was treated differently. I by adults and I'm so sorry but as a grown woman with a child the same age as the kid that you're fucking picking on and bullying shame on you and if I ever see that bitch because I know exactly what she looks like and it's so there were a couple different situations that really pushed me away from the LDS church now I'm not saying it's a bad religion I'm not saying they're bad people people can make up their own minds about that situation because a lot of my family is still very devout LDS. Some of my family has pulled away from it for whatever reasons. Um, There were situations where I was being picked on by my peers. And when I acted out, whether it was just teasing and I like pinched somebody on the side or they hit me, so I hit them back. It was always, you know, their moms would come down on me. You're not going to be allowed to come to these events anymore. Do you want to stay with young women's? Because young women don't act like that. And I'm looking at their daughters who are sitting there huddled up in this little group, giggling to themselves. You're like, why are they here then? Yeah. Um, but that, that literally happened. We were sitting in there watching a movie and the one girl elbowed me in the ribs and punched me. So I punched her back. Well, guess what, bitch? I hit hard. Like, I, you know this. Like, even if I'm playing, I have to be careful because I hit like a man. So, so I hit her back and it hurt her. And her mom got down me about it and was like, you're going to have to leave. She made me walk home. Now, from the church that we were at to my house is about a five and a half mile walk. At night, I walked home by myself because she refused to give me a ride home after I gave her daughter a dose of her own medicine. Many things like that took place. And this is why I chose to step away and stop trying to fit in and be friends with these girls because we were all in the same neighborhood. And at that point, it was very clear to me that these girls, A, were not good people, B, that I wasn't meant to be friends with them, and C, fuck you, you fucking cunt rag. Like, mm-hmm. you think you're, you think you're abnormally tall fucking behemoth of a daughter is so lovely and perfect? She's a cunt. Huge. Dun, 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 dun. Big, big cunt. cunt. Big, big. So I still big. haven't watched that movie. We Damn it. Time. We should watch that one together, though. Yeah. So. So you say you're sorry. So you say you're sorry. So you say you're sorry. Now. Moving on. Moving to the conviction of Strunk. Yeesh. Defendant Roger Dale Strunk pleaded guilty to first-degree murder, a capital offense, after being deemed an adult. Um, To uh, number two, child kidnapping, which was a first-degree felony. And... (laughs) Sorry. Look at the numbering on this. It goes one, two, nine, ten. (laughs) Good good for me. Good for me. (laughs) This is why I don't use a like a, a fucking essay layout when i write my episodes anymore right it's just it's oh because it has a mind fucked. of its own yes it does yeah. whatever it wants um aggravated sexual abuse of a child which is a first degree felony and these charges were originally tried and sentenced by judge draney who was who imposed max sentence life in prison for murder without parole and a subsequent 15 year plus sentence on the additional charges to be served consecutively. Um, But there was a resentencing. The late District Judge Dennis L. Geraney sentenced Strunk, good Lord, sentenced Strunk to life in prison for the murder and the two longest mandatory sentences allowed on the other charges. He ordered all three to be served consecutively, ensuring a 24-year sentence before eligibility for parole. Judge Draney died of cancer on April 24th of 1992 at age 48. So, Strunk would appeal his sentencing. In oral arguments on the appeal, Strunk's attorney, Sam Pappas, said Draney was so emotionally caught up in the case that he, quote, overlooked the mitigating factor of the defendant's age. However, in sentencing Strunk to a mandatory 24 years, Draney effectively deprived the board of pardons of any flexibility to parole Strunk sooner if that was later judged appropriately. So on March 31st, 1994, hoping to send a message about the value of human life, the state's board of pardons and parole decided to keep 22-year-old man in prison for the rest of his life. 
Strunk pleaded with the Board of Pardons for Mercy at his parole hearing Monday in Cedar City. Now, when I say Monday, this is obviously a news article from back in the day. Um, it was <laughs> on Wednesday, board members decided the Vernal Man will stay in prison for the rest of his life. The board does have the option of reviewing Strunk's case in 10 years and giving him parole under another date. This was an unspeakable crime and, and an immense tragedy, said board chairman Michael Sibbett. We hope our decision reaffirms the value Utah places on human life and our resolve to deal harshly with those who take it in such a brutal fashion. Strunk pleaded guilty to kidnapping, sexual abuse of a child, and criminal homicide. He was originally sentenced to concurrent maximum terms, but the state Supreme Court ordered Strunk be resentenced because of his age. If the original sentence had been upheld, Strunk wouldn't have been eligible for parole for 19 years. Now, as previously stated, Fitzen's family gathered tens of thousands of signatures on a petition asking, asking that Strunk never be released from prison. The board did acknowledge Strunk's age at the time and his good performance while in prison. Now, he was eligible for parole in 2016, which has since been denied. Veronica's mother said that she will do everything she can to make sure that he never sees the light of day. Wrapping up with some of the better things that came from this is Code Veronica. Now, Code Veronica is something that has been put into place by local law enforcement, and Nikki's going to head us off in that. I just have an art, an article. I almost said argument. I don't know why, but it, I actually have an article, not an argument, and I'm going to read some pieces out of it. It's called How Code Veronica Has Been Developed. It's by the chief of police. And I, from what I can gather, it didn't have a date on it, but it was written around 2011, I would imagine. So, that yeah, they put Code Veronica into effect well before that. But um, I included, like, if you want to put that in the show notes, that is the actual, like, PDF of Code yeah, Veronica. Yeah, that's what oh, okay. I have. But I just, it the date on here was 2016. Yeah. And then this mentions 2010. So I think the article was written around 2011. But um, I'm just going to read from the article. It started off with the most obvious way to improve the response and go above and beyond expectations. Typically, police get criticized for too large officer presence and other calls, but not so far not so for a missing child. If 5, 10, or even 30 officers responded to the call, set up an initial command post with, an, with one officer in charge and organized in an organized and swift effort to collect the child information, search the house, and make contact with neighbors and bystanders around the neighborhood documenting these names, dates, and times contacted, that would make a big difference if it was determined to be an actual abduction. More times than not, the child is soon found and the information we collected is never needed again. The worst thing that could happen is that officers would perfect this response and be even better prepared for when it really counted and build a better working relationship with each other. It is a win-win situation if I could get everyone interested com and com interested, Jesus Christ, committed and involved. So it goes on about how he wanted to set up a policy that all departments would agree to follow um, that would cover the organized collection of all the information and all of all of that shit. As a chief of this, I'm skipping a little bit. As the chief of a small city, I'm also the, also the public relations officer. I receive many calls and visits regularly from the local media looking for stories or information on current events. I had received a visit one day from a local radio reporter by the name of Malia Bascom. I had been working on this policy for most of the morning and was frustrated. I shared with her my frustrations of not finding the right child to name this program after. Malia remembered a local child who was murdered 20 years prior when she was in school in Vernal. This child had been abducted and murdered sometime around 1988. So that's when they decided to name it after Veronica. Moving on, he says, I was amazed that the local people who had been around at the time did not remember nor had even vague memories of this tragic event in 1988. How could the family of such a horrific event be forgotten about? Where are they now? How does someone cope with such a devastating and horrific event and still function in the day-to-day? -day? I found myself moved and inspired because of what I was looking for the child to put to put the heart in this program after some basic investigation in 
<laughs> After some basic investigative techniques, I found Veronica's mother. Um, her brother Pablo is serving his country in the United States Air Force and is currently stationed in Germany. Jeanette, who is her mother, um, her, Jeanette's husband passed less than a year before I made contact with her. Now alone, she survives by holding on to her faith in God, and you can see and feel the faith when you are near her. I could never be that strong in her shoes. I thought to myself as I asked her permission to use her daughter's name for our program, how she managed to make it through that horrific time without support available now through bereverment. Bereavement? <laughs> Jesus. I don't even have to see the word. I'm like, it's bereavement. I can't read. Bereavement programs and parent organization is beyond me. I was absolutely horrified listening to Jeanette relay to me how she heard of that neighbor boy's confession to beating and strangling her child and how her little girl fought and begged for her mother. I knew I needed to get support for this program and do everything in our power to prevent another family from this devastation. So in April of 2010, um, they invented... Or he invited, not invented, Jesus Christ. I'm butchering the shit out of this. In April of 2010, he invited administrators from the Uinta County area to meet with him at his office to discuss this missing child program that they wanted to implement. So they ended up implementing it, getting everybody trained in it and all right. that shit. And they finally got their first call and they went in and got to use it. And the kid was asleep underneath the couch. But <laughs> they still they still have it in effect now. And he says that he's received many compliments from the public. Um, like, wow, lots of cops. And man, you guys really mean business. And he's confident in one day as much as he wishes it will never come when they, det- when they determine that Code Veronica call. We are on is now a criminal case, and the effort put collectively into the initial response will pay off and recover the child. I think we owe it to them. We'll put the link in the show notes so you can read the whole thing. I just kind of, I skimmed through it a little bit because it's a really long article. Okay, so there is also, if you want to be a part of a solution when it comes to missing, abducted, and exploited children, you can actually go to www.missingkids.com slash home. And the number is 1-800-THE-LOST. Now, this is something that was put into effect by John Walsh after his son Adam Mm -hmm. had been abducted. And you'll actually hear code Adam is a thing that they use in department stores, specifically Walmart, um, for kids that go missing in the store. Right. And that is like, this is the one thing that I genu- genuinely love about Code Adam is you stop, it doesn't matter what the fuck you're doing in that store, you stop what you're doing in every department, no matter what you are doing, who you're helping, you go look for the kid. Right. Unless you're bound to an open cash register, and even then, like, you shut that shit and go find that baby. Right. So, well, because the baby is more important than the cash. Absolutely. And I don't care who's bugging you about a phone charger or if you have these bathroom rugs in a shade of peach. No, ma'am. Fuck no. your rugs. Fuck your charger. Fuck you. Fuck you. Going to find this We're kid. we find a kid. Yep. Um, there's also the Amber Alert that everybody is probably more familiar with. And we talked <clears> about <throat> it a little bit in episode... 50, I believe, because this case was going on at the same time as our cadet murder. Yes. Um, it's for Amber Renee Hagerman. Um, it was in 1996, and she was abducted while riding her bike with her brother in Arlington, Texas. Mm-hmm. Oh, this little girl was found four days after her abduction near midnight, and her body was discovered in a creek behind an apartment complex with severe laceration wounds to her neck. The site of her discovery was less than five miles from where she went missing. As of November of 2018, there are still no suspects in her abduction and homicide. So that's one of the bigger ones. That's the nationwide. So we've got Veronica in our town. We've got Code Adam in the stores, and we've got Amber Alerts. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I have one small, quick personal story. I asked my mom about this because me being young at the time, the same age basically as this little girl, I wanted to know how it affected her. 
So I asked her, what do you remember about the murder? And she said one of the things that she remembers was a missing poster on the road to go up to our house. Anybody that's around here, we live in Air Village. So at the we lived in Air Village. So at the base of that road, um, there was a missing poster. And she said, we saw it every time we, we drove home. And it was so upsetting. She It really bothered her um, to remember that vividly because I'm seven years old sitting in the back seat as we're driving past this all the time that could could have been me. She remembers seeing Roger drunk on the news when they caught him, and she visualized the pillowcase that he kept her poor little body in. Mm. She can't remember if they actually showed the pillowcase on the news or if she just visualized it, visualized it. but either way, she says it's always haunted her. Um, and she can still see the mom's face on the news when it all happened. Like those are things that are burned into her brain that are never going to come out. Um, I asked her, what are your thoughts about it? Since you had a daughter, her age, which was me. And she said it was terrible. It bothered it. Oh, she said it was terrible. It bothered her so bad because I was her age. Um, it was traumatizing to think about it being me. She didn't have a whole lot to say on that subject, but I could tell she was getting kind of upset about it. And my big brother, Ryan, who you heard on Air Biscuit Air and all those, the airplane murders, my, he was actually friends with Pablo after the murders. And they went, Pablo was her big brother. They went to a state football game together and they hung out a lot after the murder, but I couldn't get a hold of him. I couldn't get him to answer me. God damn it, Ryan. He's in like France or some bullshit flying. So <laughs> fucking maybe make me a priority, okay? <laughs> Listen, I know you're a pilot and you're busy, but could you not? <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't get a hold of Ryan, so I don't have his account. So maybe we can get it and put it in a, a later a later episode. Yeah, and remember, if you're local and you want to add to this, colormedeadpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, just like any other small town murders, it's hard to find, hard to find things on it, even... You know, it was 1988. A lot of people have moved out of here since then. So so just remember, boys and girls, moms and dads, monsters are real. And they might live next door. That's right. So, you know, don't trust anybody. And uh, stay, stay out, out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.